Good morning, church. My name is Brandon. If this is the first time you've been with us, I am the pastor here at the church at Harper Heights. That's where you are, and I specify that because we are one church with many campuses, and that's what the video alludes to. We'll have a couple more of those over the next two weeks because we are excited about a whole lot of things that are going on across our campuses uh, here um, under the umbrella of Brentwood Baptist Church. It was some 13, 14, 15 years ago now that Brentwood Baptist Church decided to try to grow in by planting or revitalizing uh, congregations uh, throughout the city. And our story is wrapped up in that one because that's what happened here about three years ago now. And it's, it's funny and fun to see David Hanna in that video. And many of you probably don't know, but this, this sanctuary was constructed in the late 90s under the leadership here at Harpeth Heights Baptist Church at the time by David's father, Mac, and uh, his mother, Patty, who is a member here now and probably here this morning. But David's become one of my closer friends in the world. I've gotten to know David very well. He pastors our church at Lachlan Springs. And then Matt Pearson, a good friend as well, the church at West Franklin. There's a lot of cool things happening. Two years ago, you may remember, Lachlan Springs got hit directly by the tornado that came through in March of 2020. And so uh, I know my friend Bill Farrell down here can attest to all the work that has gone on there over the last couple of years. And so to, 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 it's a beautiful facility now. Not that it wasn't before, but it's a really old space that has a ton of life in it. And there's a lot of cool things going on there. West Franklin is under construction right now. We showed a video about that a couple of weeks ago. And they have, will have new space soon. And that's just part of the story that's unfolding that we're telling, uh, the exciting things that are going on each of our campuses. But I mentioned Mac and his leadership here and the, and the, the route that we've taken here to get to where we are now and for me to be here. Um, I'm just grateful about uh, it. It has a lot to do with the offertory time and the story Susan just told. It has to do with um, Oksana inviting Tim and Becca, who've been with us a lot of weeks. It was over the last few months, and that's been really fun because it's wrapped up in my story. Eight years ago this month, uh, I was downtown as the youth minister at First Baptist Church, and we decided, much like BBC decided with the Middle Tennessee Initiative, uh, that we needed to reach. There, there's just a ton of people here, y'all, that are unchurched. And we knew that downtown, and so we started a modern worship expression at that time, and I was in the right place at the right time to get asked to, you're going to preach in this service. And I fell in love with preaching, and if it weren't for that, and that decision, I wouldn't have been called to be with y'all. And so I'm grateful for that part of my story. The reason I tell you that is because Tim and Becca were right there with me from the start and helping put that together and seek the Lord's leadership in that. And Tim stepped in as a youth minister, and we got to do that for five years together. And then I got called here by y'all three years ago. And that's been a blast. But y'all, let's be real. It's been a weird couple of years, right? And, and that is a big part of the context here. And so we are trying to tell our church's story in the midst of what's going on in the capital C church everywhere, which I think is both exciting and weird right now. I mean, this congregation has turned over in a lot of ways. There are many of you still at home. There are many of you we haven't seen yet. At least half the people in this room are new since the pandemic. It is, I'm grateful for it, but we're trying to get our bearings. And so we're going to tell the story of our church over the next few weeks with videos like that and in a variety of other ways. 
in hopes that we can all get on board with what, what, what's going on in the next little while, which we actually are really excited about. And the work that's going on at Lachlan Springs, that's going on at West Franklin now, that, that'll bleed into our story sooner than later because there are so many people right outside our doors who aren't inside our doors this morning. And whether it's groups, service opportunities, or worship, the front doors can be many anymore. And really our front door is you and the way that you are communicating what Jesus is doing in and through you, the way you're living your life, being excited about it, telling others of the hope that you have in Jesus. So I hope you're excited to be part of this church. I am. And because we've got a lot of work to do. We're in John chapter 6 today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I ask you to turn there with me. Specifically, the first 15 verses will comprise our text this morning. But we will be in a little bit more into the chapter, and I'll explain that as it comes. But let's go ahead and look at the text together. I'm going to read it, follow along in your Bible or on the screen. After this, Jesus crossed, verse 1, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip. Philip was from the area where they're in, and so it was natural for him to ask Philip. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? Where's the Kroger? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but... What are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king... He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. So one of my first speeches ever in elementary school, if you had some kind of forum where you were asked to give speeches, it's apparently one of the greatest fears amongst people. I get that. I get nervous every week standing before you. And I remember one of the first speeches I ever gave, it had to do with food. And the central question I asked in this speech was, do you eat to live 
or do you live to eat? Simple truth is that we as Americans here in the U.S., we have so much and we live mostly, we mostly live to eat. I don't mean we all overeat necessarily, but many do. What, what we do is that we're very choosy about what we eat, when we eat, and how we eat it. Maybe it's ornate dinner parties. Aren't those fun? Maybe you're a foodie like I am, and you appreciate good food, expensive food, or maybe you're a very picky eater. We have several of those in our house. In our context here, Uh, In America, you know, that tends to develop at a young age because we have lots of food. We can decide if we don't like something. I decided I didn't like cheese until I was eight or nine. I couldn't like cheese any more than I like cheese. Now, you know, we really mess that up with our kids. We give them whatever they want when they want it. And I wouldn't advise that. Try to get them to eat what's for dinner, parents. And I'm sure that our children are less multifarious than they would be otherwise. But as we visit, as I have, and I've gotten to do this a lot, visit other countries, particularly in the global south, we see a different reality. We see much more of an eat-to-live mentality. A lifestyle among the people, um, it's more eat-to-live. I can think of sitting down at the meals that I've had in people's homes, whether in Costa Rica or Brazil or Haiti, and these places that value hospitality so much, and we gain insight into how we are perceived by how we are served. And so many times the folks that we eat with go out of their way to fix food that they believe we would also like, or they fix their own specialties. They're certainly trying to impress, and some of that's good, right? We want to bless each other. Those well-crafted meals were so often done in a spirit of hospitality that did bless us as travelers, as visitors. But the truth is the staple cuisine in those places is much more prevalent and recognizable than I think it is here. It's rice and beans. I love rice and beans, by the way. But it's simple and wonderful in my opinion, but certainly simple and affordable for many. Now, our story here in John is set in a similarly agrarian society. And the staple for this time and place would have been familiar to the reader in this story because it was bread and fish. And so we we, we should read into this story that Jesus is giving us a picture of sustenance, of sustaining people, which is what food does. It sustains life. Without it, we don't survive. It's such as the context for Jesus declaring later on in the chapter in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So church, let me ask you this morning. Do you believe in Jesus Because he gives you what sustains you. Or do you believe in Jesus because he sustains you? Now, it may be difficult to perceive a difference in those two questions I just asked, and that's fine. But I think there is a difference. Essentially, what I'm asking is, do you, do we, do I believe in Jesus because he gives us bread? Or because he is bread? I find this distinction important 
Because, as Trevin Wax reminds us, following Jesus doesn't mean there will always be an abundance of bread. Or even that the wind will always be at our back. Jesus withdraws at the beginning of this story and at the end. And he withdraws at the end and he, he leaves the disciples' presence. And they end up, if you know the story that comes immediately after, they end up getting on the sea to go to the other side. And a storm comes up. And I can imagine the disciples just, well, they were very afraid during this storm. So immediately after this incredible picture of sustenance, abundance in the bread and the fish multiplying, Jesus leaves and the disciples are all of a sudden in the middle of a storm on the water immediately. It's this beautiful picture, tough picture, but important picture that we see it's not always abundance. Life does get tough. The wind is not always at our back. You know, it's NFL playoffs are going on and um, I was watching uh, the early rounds and one of my former students was on one of the playoff teams. Kid that I loved, love still, but when he was a middle schooler, he was such a great kid. Dad was out of the picture, didn't know where he was. And his mom, I remember, never got to see. I coached him in basketball, but football was his main sport, but he was good in basketball. His mom never got to the games. And I asked him one day, you know, because I had met her at the parents' meeting, but she never got to the games to see him. And she didn't get to the games because she worked at IHOP, which is actually a place that kind of details our live-to-eat mentality anyway. She worked at IHOP, and she worked at FedEx, because that's how they made ends meet. I saw my kids play eight basketball games yesterday. She rarely ever got to see him play. Here's the deal. These last two years, I know you're tired. I'm tired. I know you're tired. And, and, and when I say that the wind's not always at our back, that probably resonates deeply with all of us right now. Sometimes things are good and abundant and there is plenty. I mean, just this week, Susan was telling me about a story with our food pantry. And I can't remember exactly who it was because I can't be asked to remember everybody that we serve in our food pantry because it's so many. But somebody needed rice. And Susan's testimony about this was they came and got all that they needed. And she stood there amazed that there was still a bunch of rice left because y'all are so faithful in stocking and serving in the food pantry that we had plenty and still had plenty. That's a cool story because sometimes there is plenty. Sometimes there's not. Other times we have to hold on to our belief in Jesus, to the hope that we have in Jesus. This story is amazing. It's the only story in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's obviously important and amazing. And I can imagine John trying to show this spirit of hospitality that exists among Jesus and his disciples, a kind of, there's always one more seat at the table. I think they had that vibe amongst them. Maybe, you know, a home like that. 
And then, yeah, Jesus asks Philip, probably because he was from there, pretty matter-of-factly as the large crowd approaches, where do you think we can buy enough bread so these folks can eat? Jesus asks, like, where can we get the bread? Well, Philip's mind immediately goes to forget about where. Even if somebody had it, we can't afford it. He went straight to the money. Aren't we like that? He's thinking about their wallets. And he says, it would cost 200 days of wages to even give every person a little bit. It's another miracle story, right? We looked at the wedding at Cana last week. Jesus filling the jars with an abundance of wine. It's a sign. The signs, uh, he's been healing people since chapter 2, and that's what our text reveals is why people showed up. They were gathering around him in large crowds that caused him to have to retreat in the first place because he's, he's working these signs. But remember what we said about signs last week. A sign is an act, a work of Jesus that provides the witness of that sign, an opportunity for insight into who Jesus is, into Jesus's identity. And the people, they fail this test. If you look at the end of our story, the insight into Jesus's identity that they believe that they gain, it's wrong. Look at 14 and 15 again. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Here we see an example of what we see a lot with those around Jesus. This is a particular time in history where the Jews were tired. Years of oppression, years of waiting for God to reveal their Savior, the Messiah. And now John the Baptist is here saying that this guy is it. But there had been other would-be kings at the time. This wasn't the first time that a crowd had said, this is the person, and they weren't pointing to Jesus. So it could have been that people thought, well, this is just another example that's going to ultimately let us down. What they expected from the real thing, if John the Baptist was telling the truth, was an earthly, powerful king who brought justice. A king who would not only bring the bread in abundance, but would also stomp on anyone who tried to take the bread away. But it wasn't Jesus' time. Remember? Remember in Cana at the wedding? Mary says they're out of wine. In verse 4 in chapter 2, Jesus says, well, what concern of yours, what, what has this concern of yours to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Yes, church, sometimes we have to wait. We have to be patient. So I'll ask you again, do you follow Jesus because Jesus gives us bread or because he is bread? Now, in another sense, the people were absolutely correct to want to crown Jesus king. Jesus is the king, but he's not the king they were expecting. And down in verse 26, as the story continues in chapter 6, Jesus gives us insight into what their mistake is. So let's look at verse 26 together. Jesus tells them, the crowd's all around him. They're huffing and puffing. They're excited to be there, but they're... 
trying to make him king. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me. But not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Got some living to eat going on here. Effectively, Jesus is saying, do you follow me because I give bread? Or because I am bread? And here's what I want from us, church at Harpeth Heights. That we will recognize Jesus as king appropriately. And we will recognize the bread and the fish and the multiplying of this food that, that they are here in this story, that, that Jesus has done this because a sign is what it ultimately points to about Jesus's identity, that he has done this. He has worked this wonderful work to help people understand what verse four alludes to when Jesus, when John indicates that Jesus was telling him now it's Passover time. And the context that this is done in when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and led out into the wilderness where they were sustained with manna until they finally reached the promised land. Jesus is teaching us even today that the new Passover has begun, that the new Exodus has begun. And because a sign is a work or an act of Jesus that provides the witness and opportunity into insight into Jesus's identity, just as the food was displayed in abundance right in front of them, leftovers and all showing them what they were in the middle of, what we too are in the middle of today, what we are taking part in. So think about it. Maybe, yeah, we feel like we are in exile. Today, maybe there are days when it doesn't feel like there is abundance. The manna was given daily, if you remember. And John sets this story in the context of Passover to get us, the reader, thinking about the exodus from Egypt. Because in many ways, we still are in exile. We still are asked to be patient. We still get hungry, but we are not without a king. We're just not. I've listened to a whole lot of Tim and I both have listened to a whole lot of N.T. Wright podcasts and stuff over these last eight years. And I remember one time N.T. Wright, who's British, but speaks a lot in America, and he's one of the foremost New Testament scholars um, in the world, ever, for that matter. And he was commenting on our hymns. Because unfortunately, we got a lot of hymns that we probably shouldn't sing anymore because the theology in them um, is lacking. And I, I've... I've I've not been shy about telling you this. Any, any um, ruminating or, or dwelling in any theology that takes our mind solely to a, a, a just, we're just seeking to get to heaven. We're just seeking to get to the point where Jesus makes all things new. That is unhealthy way of thought. It's not that it's not true. I told you that last week. It is true. And we're going to get there. And Jesus is going to make all things new. But Jesus is also making 
all things new. And he's trying to do it through you and me. Now, I hope you've heard me tell you that. And we have a few hymns that do get this. And one of them happens to be my favorite, and it's the one that N.T. Wright was alluding to this particular day that I was listening to him. And it's, it's one of our most beautiful, in my opinion. It is, This Is My Father's World. And the fourth and the fifth verses, I'm going to try to do this because sometimes I just sing. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems of so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. That's good theology. And it's the only way that we can remember and hold fast to the promise of abundance when we don't necessarily see it. It's how we remember to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to recognize Jesus. Because he is bread, not just because he gives it to us. We're going to transition our attention to the table. We're taking the Lord's Supper together today and... If you didn't get the elements on your way in, good. I didn't want you to because we're going to give you a chance to do that in just a moment. But just wait just a second and we'll have time to do that. And when you get them, bring them back to your seat um, and we'll take them together uh, in just a moment. There is a legend, which means this isn't true, but it makes a point. Well, maybe it's true. But the story goes that Peter and the other disciples were walking along with Jesus, and Jesus stopped. This was in the morning. Jesus stopped and told them to pick up a rock, and they were going to carry it with them. Any stone will do. And Peter, who was always a little bit ahead of everybody else, he picked up a little bitty rock and carried it around all morning. And when it came lunchtime, they all stopped, and Jesus said, All right, everybody put your rocks on the ground. And he turned those rocks into bread. And they had lunch. Well, Peter was not very happy. And after lunch, Jesus repeated the exercise. And he said, pick up a rock and we're going to continue on. And so Peter found a big old rock. It may have been a boulder. I'm not sure. But he labored all afternoon with that rock and it came near supper time and <laughs> they came to a little stream and Jesus said, okay, throw your rocks into that stream. Peter flummoxed, looked at Jesus and said, what in the world, Jesus I carried that all afternoon. I'm starving. 
Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, who are you carrying it for? <laughs> 